Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. What are your thoughts on arranged marriages? The reason I ask is because in Genesis 24, that's basically what we have. Abraham sends his senior servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. It's a long passage, but ultimately he obtains Rebekah, Isaac's second cousin, and returns and they are married. So in the opening nine verses, we find Abraham getting older and therefore calling upon his most reliable senior servant to go and obtain a wife for his son Isaac. The point of this chapter is that God's promise hangs upon Abraham's seed, and so Abraham's promised son Isaac must have a bride. The seriousness of the matter is highlighted by the form of the oath. Now what happens here is rather unusual, and some say that this is just an ancient form of oath-taking, but there's no evidence that that is the case. What transpires here only transpires in one other place in Genesis 47 and what seems to be taking place here is really pointing to a covenant aspect. Obviously you have the covenant of circumcision, that's Abraham's loins. You also have the promised seed, the the son of God is all all going to come from this line of Abraham. And so in the form of the oath, you have an expression of Abraham's faith. Well, Abraham's servant is wise, and he looks at it thinking to himself, is it likely that a woman wants to travel away from home several hundred miles and live in a place where she's never been? So Abraham clarifies, verse 8, that if a woman will not come with you, then you've met your obligations, you're released from the bounds of the oath. So what's Abraham's concern? Why is he taking this so seriously? Well, there are a number of reasons, but... Obviously, he wants to see Isaac take a bride and carry on according to God's plan. But at the same time, he can't take a wife from the Canaanites, God's judgments upon the Canaanites, and those way in the future. To take a Canaanite would seem to militate against God's plan. In addition, the most likely place to find a God-fearing woman is in his own family. Abraham's life and testimony no doubt impacted those that never even travelled with him. And so to go back to the place where he came from offers the best opportunity to find a God-fearing woman. And so in verses 10 through 14, the servant sets off on his journey, probably around 500 miles, and no doubt praying the entire way. But when he arrives, he prays, and he prays so specifically that if what he asks for is fulfilled, he can be in no doubt of God's will. And so before he finishes his prayer, verses 15 through 28 show Rebecca appearing on the scene and doing everything that he requested. And some have calculated here that in watering the camels, 10 camels, maybe 80 trips back and forth from the well to the camels, an hour and a half minimum, job probably far longer and so Rebecca aside from everything else is some kind of iron woman she's she's made of sturdy stuff and 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 does it all with haste as well so it's not just that she does what she says she does it energetically and enthusiastically and so Abraham's servant just standing wondering just marveling what 
what is going on here? And it's at that moment, really only, there's one test left. Well, this is an amazing woman, but there's one thing that matters. The woman needs to come from the same household as Abraham. And so when he settles the fact that she's from the same family, he just falls down and worships. God has met far beyond what he could have imagined, giving specifically what he requested in a way that leaves him stunned. And so in verses 29 through 69, we find Abraham's servant going to the household of Bethuel. He explains who he is, who he represents, what he's there to do, what God has done, and they're left basically with the response, Bethuel and Laban, they said, this thing proceedeth from the Lord, verse 50. There can be in no doubt that the hand of God is upon all of this. And so from verse 60 through 67, Rebecca is blessed. She goes with Abraham's servant, returns with him to his home and marries Isaac. And so we come to application one. Those who are in Christ are blessed in all things. The language of verse 1 is not unique to Abraham. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And so when we read language like this, it's an insight into what is true for all who are in Christ. It's true of you if you're saved. 2. God guides his people sovereignly. In a number of instances, we know Abraham was led by a revelation of the Son of God. But the visible presence of God is not necessary in order to know that God is leading. And we see that in this chapter. Abraham knew God would lead. Verse 7 says, He shall send his angel before thee. But the assurance of God's guidance comes not only by promise, but also is underlined by his providence. It was the providence of God in the detailing of the events that convinced Rebekah's family that God was leading. And this is true for all the Lord's people. We should never doubt anything in his word. He says he will lead us, but his providence at times confirms or reassures us that this indeed is the case. And so we can look at his word, see that he promises he will guide, and then go to him and, and see indications that that is the case. Three, God's promises do not exempt his people from faithful activity. The fact that God had promised to continue his plan through Isaac didn't remove from Abraham or the family the responsibility to find a faithful wife. Fatalism is not a Christian way of looking at the world. We believe God is sovereign, but we also are responsible. 4. God's people ought to have wise qualifications for those they marry. You can see in Abraham a concern that Isaac marries someone who is separated from the world and believes in the true and living God. And going by verse 14, it would seem that Abraham's servant also had his own criteria. He's looking for characteristics as he frames his prayer and desire, characteristics of kindness, generosity, and being hardworking, which are all qualities to look for. Five, prayer is crucial if you're to find the best spouse for you. Certainly, young people, you should have criteria. That is without question. But at the same time, in order to find the spouse for you, there ought to be a prayerful seeking of God's face that you might enjoy divine guidance in your search. I remember being told of a group of young ladies who entering into, if I recall, maybe their late 20s, and all five of them were without spouses or any indication of them. And they began to meet for prayer once a week, seeking God's face together 
specifically for a spouse, and within one year, four out of the five were engaged. They sought God's face, and they experienced God's guidance. 6. God's people are expected to be practical. While criteria and prayer are essential, verse 13 also indicates that Abraham's servant was practical. He placed himself in a location where he was most likely to see eligible candidates. Some young people are very good at establishing the right criteria. They're even prayerful about God guiding them to the right spouse, but then they don't put themselves in the very places where they're likely to meet the kind of person they're looking for. For example, if you're looking for someone spiritual, don't just go to church on Sunday. Loads of people go to church on Sunday, but not not ones that meet the criteria you're looking for. Go to the prayer meeting. All, go to the prayer meeting and when you pray, keep your eyes closed, but, but then open your eyes and have a look. Who's there? Who's there? Generally, goats don't go to the prayer meeting. Good, solid, spiritual people go to the prayer meeting. And that's a great place to find the kind of person you should marry. Seven, mourning is not an excuse to rob us of a productive life. Isaac here, at least how the language appears to me, seems to have stalled for a time until Rebecca comes along. The mourning over his mother's death has gone on for three years. And it's not until Rebecca appears and he gets married that he seems to move on. Remember, God is greater than our grief. And he has a right to our faithful, joyful service. If we're still breathing, though our loved ones are gone, if we're still here, God intends us to live faithfully for him. Finally, there are matters of gospel encouragement for us here. If we look a little deeper, we, we see Abraham's servant portraying a believer filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit to go after a bride for the Lord. And that's what we're doing. When we go out and evangelize, we're seeking for a bride for the Son of God, just like Abraham's servant. In addition, you see Rebecca being asked, wilt thou go with this man? And she says, I will go. And this is like our call to sinners. Will you go after this man? Will you, will you follow Jesus? So, let us be encouraged. The Lord is able to fill our hearts with his presence, empower us by his spirit, and send us out to find the bride for whom Christ died and call them into the arms of Jesus to be saved, to be married to him in an indissoluble union that will carry throughout all eternity.